Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. This week on the podcast, we bring you another great course from the Commune Library. As you may know, in addition to being a podcast, Commune is also a video course platform featuring a wide range of programs from top teachers on personal growth, yoga, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. Essentially, everything that you need to be holistically well. This week, we will be releasing the first five parts of David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. David Kessler is the world's foremost expert on grief and loss. And when David was young, he witnessed a mass shooting while his mother lay dying in a nearby hospital. These simultaneously occurring events propelled him toward what has become his life's purpose, helping people manage, recover, and even find meaning in their grief. He facilitates talks, workshops, and retreats for those experiencing loss, as well as training physicians, nurses, counselors, police, and first responders about end of life and trauma. Over the next five days, we will be releasing the first five parts of David's series. If you want to watch the full video version of the course, which includes 10 core lessons plus Q&As, yoga practices for grief, and downloadable worksheets, well, I encourage you to go to onecommune.com help and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's O-N-E Commune dot com slash help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full length version of help for the hurting heart. We will always email you before your free trial is up. But if you continue on to become a Commune member, well, thank you. Our members are the key reason we are able to create and share free content like this. And If you regularly listen to this podcast, I also ask that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcatcher. Tap follow show and leave us a review. It really makes a huge difference. And now here's day four. In this lesson, David explains the science of the survival mind in terms of loss and grief. Tune in for part five later this week. Let's now talk about the science of loss. We often don't realize we have a protective mind. Our mind is always seeking to make sure we survive and that we are safe. So think about our primitive mind. Our primitive mind saw the neighbor caveman was eaten by the lion it want to make it wants to make sure we do not get eaten by the lion also so it is about preserving and protecting us something bad happened don't let that happen again that's our protective mind that primitive primal mind is still in there protecting us it wants to keep us safe right 
However, sometimes the mind, in keeping us safe, turns against us. Let's talk about some ways that can happen. One is catastrophizing. Catastrophizing, a lot of people will go, oh my gosh, you're such a catastrophizer, or put you down for being a catastrophizer. You are a catastrophizer because a catastrophe has happened. A loss has occurred. A trauma has occurred. You are a person who has been through a horrific catastrophe and your mind, just like the lion, goes, we cannot let this happen again. So what happens is, you know, I've spent decades working with people who had so many illnesses and different loss. I always joke about, but it's true, it's more than a joke. I never have a headache. I only have a brain tumor. I go right to the worst situation, right? Our mind, when it catastrophizes, someone's late. It doesn't go, oh, I bet they're irresponsible. It goes, oh my gosh, they're dead. Probably because someone else you love turned out to be dead. So catastrophizing is the mind trying to protect you from another hurt, right? So don't let anyone put you down for that. What we have to do with catastrophizing is work on our brain to tell our brain they're just late. People are late. It's okay. Little things go wrong. Headaches happen. To not go to the worst scenario and to remind our brain we're okay. Thank you for the protection. We're okay. I'll tell you another thing our mind does. Our mind does confabulation. What confabulation is? Confabulation, you see children doing it, but our mind does it also. We tell a lie so much, we believe it. Now, the word lie might not even be the right thing because we don't actively know it's not true. We think something happened and we believe it to be true. And our mind takes it as the truth. So a lot of times what I see happening in grief is someone will tell me, my loved one, it turns out um, they died at 10 p.m., but they were, you know, discovered at 9 a.m. They suffered for all those hours. And I go, oh, my goodness, tell me, how did you know they were suffering? Well, I just know they did. I know, but did they find evidence of it? Was, was there a note? Was there phone calls being made? No. Here's what happens. 10 p.m., you know this happened. 9 p.m., they were discovered. When our mind has a gap of information, our mind doesn't go, I have a gap of information. Let me pause on that until I know the truth. No, our mind inserts the worst scenario into the gap, and then we tell that story over and over, and at a certain point, it begins to be our truth. And we're so used to telling it, we don't even know it possibly wasn't true. So I always like to remind people, 
your first conclusion about what happened may actually not be the correct one. It might be, but I'm just saying sometimes we just need to question it and to think about it a little more. When our mind has these gaps or a lack of information or a lack of reassurance, we go to the negative. We even anticipate the negative in the future. When we anticipate the negative into the future, number one, we're not being present. Number two, we call that often anxiety. We're in a future. Uncertainty is unnerving. This is an uncertain life. We are very uneasy with it. When a loved one is sick, many times people will say to me, my loved one has a serious illness. They're going to die. What would you tell me to do? And my response is always, don't attend the funeral early. Don't attend the funeral early in your mind. They're still alive. Be present with them for every moment. So many times our mind takes us to the worst movie and replays that worst movie over and over in our mind. Our reaction to that worst movie becomes our anxiety, right? Our mind spirals. We have this circular thinking round and round. It keeps going back. Oh my gosh, my brother died. It's just a matter of time till all my other siblings die. My other child is going to die. This husband's going to die. Next, my other parent is going to die. We do that all the time. That's our mind trying to be protective, but going a bit haywire, right? So when something happens that's out of our control, our mind can become hyper-controlling. Our mind can become hyper-controlling or we get stuck in our mind. Like I think about even my own mother. You know, there's a game, you've all done this, we play the game in our mind. If I could go back to the person who died, what would I say to them? Of course, if there was a way to prevent their death, that would be obviously the thing we would say. But if that's not possible, and they're going to die no matter what, what would you say? It's interesting. I think I would go back and say to my mother, even if the worst scenario happens, even if you die, still be present with me now. Still be here now because I felt like she left early emotionally, right? So think of how we get stuck in that worst scenario. We lose our control. We lose our power. We can't change the death, but there's so many other things. There's a saying I saw that, a quote that uh, a gentleman had wrote, and he said about his wife had died. He said, I wish I could have met her sooner. I wish I could have met her sooner. And I thought that was so profound. He wasn't wishing she didn't die because he knew he didn't have power there, but he wished he had met her sooner. So I thought that was sort of beautiful how our mind can work when it realizes what we have control over and what we don't. We have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. Most of them are repetitive. And remember, our mind has a negative bias. So we're repeating those negative ones all the time. We're repeating the negative ones all the time.
We often get so consumed with their thinking, that anxiety, we also get consumed with worrying. Most worrying is ineffective. After we have a loss, we even become more hyper warriors, right? We have to really think about what's in our control and what's not in our control. You know, there's a million things we're telling people to do. When you go out, remember, only have two drinks or whatever. How many drinks they have out of our control, right? We can tell them and give them instructions to try to make ourselves better, feel better, but don't have an illusion. You think you have other people in control. They are so out of our control. There's so many things that if we do worry about them, ask, is there something effective we can do? Oh, I drive home in the morning after a night shift. I worry I could fall asleep. Great, buy a new car that has lane assist. So it's gonna beep if you start to fall asleep or drift in the lanes, right? We think when we've had a loss or a trauma, our mind, once again, you have got to worry or this is gonna happen again. My younger son who died, I spent thousands of hours worrying about my children. He died at a time I wasn't even worrying. So just begin to notice how our mind is anxiety ridden, is worrying all the time. Do not blame yourself. You have had trauma. You have had death. There are reasons the mind does this. Obviously, so many things. We're going to be, you're going to see demonstration of grief yoga. There's meditation. There's many things you can do. Some people think, I got to make these voices in my head go away. I have an experience getting them to go away. Sometimes I treat my all my little voices like children. Stay busy with this. There's a TV show, many of you may have watched it, um, called Love It or List It. The premise on TV is these two people come into your life. One is a realtor that says, I'm going to find you a new great house. What do you want? The other one is a designer that says, what do you wish your house here had? And they redesign your whole house and show you new houses. And then at the end, you've got to decide, do you love it or list it? My mind can be so preoccupied with negative thoughts. I keep it busy with love it or list it. Literally in my house, I live in an old house. So I'm always sitting around going, oh my gosh, I'm so worried about this. And then I notice I'm worried and I go, all right, time to love it or list it. What if I moved that bedroom back and added a bathroom? Would I love it then? Or should I buy a new house? I like my mind like as a child, I'm like, here, play with love it or list it for a while. You know, to think about it. And sometimes people go, David, you don't understand. I have these horrible thoughts. I have all this. And we're going to talk about some of them coming up in some of the other sessions. But I want to introduce the thought that you have control over the thoughts. It's like Henry Ford, the guy who built cars, right? Invented cars, said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I do a demonstration in my lectures for people. You know, people go, I go, how many of you think, 
you know, you can't change your thoughts. So people will raise their hands. And then I'll go, okay, I get it. And then later on in the lecture, uh, when they don't know it, I'll go, all right, I just want to do a little exercise. Would you all picture a purple elephant? You can decide on the size. It can be miniature purple elephant. It can be gigantic purple elephant. How many of you in the room can picture a purple elephant? And everyone raises their hands. And I go, I just changed your thoughts. That easy. You have the power to change your thoughts and not let your protective mind rule the day. Remember, it's just concerned about the worst happening again. It's trying to focus on the negative. So let's talk about some of the brain science. We know in brain science that neurons that fire together wire together. If those neurons fire enough together, it becomes the pathway of least resistance. It becomes the pathway of least resistance. Let me give you an example. I'll just stick to my own situations. It's easier to go there. Um, not always fun, but I have those true examples. Let's say I have a close friend who's maybe a counselor. And my close friend calls me up after my son died just every week, just really great, and says, David, how are you doing? And I go, I'm having a hard time. I can't get the day my son died out of my mind. And he goes, I understand. Tell me about it. And then every week he calls me, how are you doing? It's hard. I can't get that day out of my mind. He's a good friend. He's letting me go through that day over and over. My mind's trying to integrate it. That's how it works. I'm going to do it early on. But if every time someone says or he says, how are you? And I keep going to the day of death, that becomes the pathway of least resistance. I become stuck there. Those neurons fire together. How are you? I can't get the day he died out of my mind. And there I'm stuck. How many of you are stuck in some horrible moment or horrible trauma that happened? And it's all you can do to keep yourself from going there. That's become a pathway that's connected. The good news is you can veer that pathway off. Remember, when we think a thought, there's a path. Again, there's another path. Same thought path. It grows into a bigger path, a trail. Then it practically becomes a road or a highway. And it becomes the path of least resistance. What can you do? My friend or I could have changed it. My friend could have listened patiently, not in the early days. But at a certain point, he could have gone, wow, thanks for telling me about that horrible day. I'm so curious. Can you tell me about a good day in your son's life? Or I can change my own path. When I get that call and I know I've told him the story 20 times, I can go, hey, he goes, hey, David, how are you? I can go, I was just thinking about pause, change the story was just thinking about my son's 10th grade party, his birthday party. Did I ever tell you about that? And I changed that neuro pathway, right? So in our mind, when our mind is going down those pathways, 
you have the ability, if you have fully explored that, if those horrible days have been witnessed, I am in no way saying skip sharing about those horrible days, but if they have been fully witnessed and you feel fully witnessed, then you can try to change those pathways. You can try to recognize what's confabulation, what's not, what's catastrophizing. You can tell your mind with catastrophizing, there is no danger. There is no danger. You can question your thinking. You can become present. I'm actually safe here. No one's dying in this moment. When you hear bad things out there going on in the world, the latest catastrophe, the latest whatever it is that's going around or what might happen to you, you can say to yourself, my protective mind's going to go to the worst. Do I want to stay in the possible or the probable? It's absolutely possible everyone you know can die very soon. But it's not probable. What if you lived from the probable versus the possible? You can reprogram your mind. The way you feel today in your pain doesn't have to be how you feel always. Now, I just want to make sure there's no misunderstandings. I am asking you to stay present for the pure grief, the pain that you can feel and you can heal. I'm trying to bring awareness to this additional suffering that our mind causes. That's the blame, the review, the spiral thinking, all that negativity that doesn't serve us in our healing. You know this, how over-controlling do people become after a trauma or a loss? You know, something huge happened. Think about the control. Something huge happened out of your control. And then someone says, well, it was their time, or you fell out of love, or he or she fell out, and you're like, this huge devastation cannot be one small answer, you need to find something to control. Maybe if I had done this, we'd still be in love. We'd still be together. You know, we talk about the stages of grief. The stages of grief Kubler-Ross observed in people. It's not a map for grief. And it's another way our mind's just trying to control. Where am I in, our, in my grief? I just need to know where I am. You know, the world is unsafe. I always say death is at least six inches away from us. And we can find safety in knowing that what's probable is going to happen. Not all the possible bad things our mind can come up with. And after a grief, after a loss, after a trauma, you realize the illusion of control we had. You know, it's interesting, I thought, how many of us have gone into an elevator? And when you go in the elevator, you push the button to close the door. Do you know what? Most of those buttons aren't real. They're not even real. The elevator people know you need a sense of control. So they've put in a false button to make you feel like you're in charge. They know how we work. They understand how we work. In this homework, we're going to think back on our mind. So what is a negative pathway? 
you see your mind takes a lot. What's that road that spirals you down? Really try to identify it. How can you reroute that? How can you reroute that for a healthier pathway? Also identify what you're worried about. Is it even going to be effective? Is there something effective you could do with it? Or are you just worrying? How about control? What's in your control? What's out of your control? You know, if I'm worried someone else is going to die, that's out of my control. What's in my control? The quality of my relationship with that person. Am I fully present, fully loving them, fully showing up in our lives together? That's in my control. You know, what can I do that's positive in my control, in my world? I can spend time with people I love, however that turns out, in person, digitally, on the phone, you know, showing up with presence of our time, presence of our love. You know, we always think it might be the right gift or something to show up. Be present. That's a wonderful gift. Can you enjoy life without worrying? Anything can destroy or enhance your present moment. Don't let your mind let the worst scenario do that. If you're here because you've had a you know, horrible relationship, breakup, divorce, betrayal. Don't let your last relationship destroy your next one, right? So I'm so glad to have shared some of the science. Now let's put it to use to tell our mind we're taken care of. Thanks for the protection. We got this. Thank you for listening to this excerpt from David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. If you want to watch all 10 days of this course, plus access downloadable worksheets and yoga flows for processing grief, go to onecommune.com help and sign up for a free trial of commune membership. That's onecommune.com help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full-length version of Help for the Hurting Heart. Feel free to email me with any suggestions and criticism, preferably of the constructive variety, at jeffk at onecommune.com. Okay, that's all from the Commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.